Welcome to Taxed Enough Already, where we only talk about action-packed topics such as high finance, taxation, and economics. I'm Dan Newash, and today's topic, 1031 Exchanges. Now, as always, the financial services industry did not create bureaucracy. They only perfected it. So just a quick disclosure for you, this is strictly for informational purposes. It is not advice. If you are thinking about doing a 1031 exchange, we strongly encourage you to engage in a professional before you do so. So what is a 1031 exchange? Well, at a high level, let's just say that you bought an investment property 10 years ago for $100,000. And you didn't do any capital improvements and you didn't take any depreciation, so your basis is that $100,000. But now, you're selling that property for $500,000. Well, that means that you have a $400,000 capital gain. And since you've made money, Uncle Sam's going to want their piece. In this scenario, at a minimum, you're going to be shelling out over $59,000 just to the federal government. State and local governments often have some form of this tax as well. In New York, for example, it's going to be taxed as ordinary income. So you could, be ta you could tack on another 7 to 10% potentially. Now, what the government does allow you to do is something called a 1031 exchange. What that is, is when you sell that property, you're taking the proceeds from that sale and rolling it in to a new investment property, which allows you to defer that capital gains tax. Now, to be clear, you're not eliminating the capital gains tax, you're just deferring it. You're kicking the can down the road. Now, there are very strict guidelines that need to be met in order to do this, but at a high level, that's what a 1031 exchange is. All right, now, what are those guidelines? Well. First and foremost, that entire process needs to be completed within 180 days, meaning when that relinquished property, that property that you're selling is sold, you have 180 days to complete the transaction in order to fill the guideline to complete a 1031 exchange. You're going to have 45 days in which you can identify a new property. Now you should be identifying more than one. Get that ID form that they send to a qualified intermediary. And then once you have a property identified, you have that 180 day total window in order to complete the process and do that 1031 exchange. Some of the other guidelines here, well, you need to maintain the same amount of debt and equity. So that $500,000 property, all right, let's just say that you had a $50,000 mortgage still on it. That means you're gonna have to go out and get another $50,000 worth of debt, likely in the form of a mortgage. You can get more debt, but you can't get less debt. So you're going to have to get at least $50,000 worth of debt. And you still have that $450,000 of equity. So the next property that you buy needs to be at least $500,000. So you have the $50,000 worth of debt and the $450,000 of equity. Now you could buy a $700,000 property and get $100,000 of debt and have a $600,000 of equity. It just needs to be the same amount of debt and equity or more. And one of the most important things is you need to engage a qualified intermediary. A qualified intermediary holds those funds throughout this entire process. You cannot take hold of those funds. If you do, that's what's called constructive receipt, and you will pay tax on those funds. And first and foremost, if you're doing a 1031 exchange, I would highly recommend that you reach out to a qualified intermediary first. I cannot tell you how many times I've had somebody call me and say, hey, I'm doing a 1031 exchange. I just sold a property, I, I want to roll it into a new property. And my first question them, to them is, great, where are the funds being held? Too many times I've heard someone say, oh, it's in my bank account. At that point, it is too late. 
Once that relinquished property is sold, those funds go to a qualified intermediary until the process is complete. So some of the other guidelines here, well, you need to be purchasing like-kind property. All right, a 1031 exchange after 2016 can only be done with real estate. Prior to 2016, there was a slew of items and products that you could do a 1031 exchange on, such as farm equipment, business equipment, etc. But after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was passed, you can only now do a 1031 exchange on real estate. So like-kind property is going to be other real estate. Generally, if you're flipping properties, you're not going to be a good candidate for a 1031 exchange because you have to be holding these properties for an extended period of time, a minimum of two years. Now, let's just say that you have an investment property and you've only had it for a year, but you've been renting it out. You can 1031 exchange that. However, when you do the 1031 exchange into that new property, you're going to have to hold that new property for at least two years. All right, now, if you have a personal residence, generally that's not going to be eligible. However, the IRS does give you a window on that. If you're a single filer, you're not going to pay capital gain on anything over $250,000. If you're filing married, it's not going to be anything over $500,000. But if you break that two fifty dollars or $500,000 mark, you may end up having to pay some capital gains tax. The other big question I get is, well, what about vacation homes? Well, there's what we call a safe harbor provision. It's what I call the 10x rule. Let's say you have a vacation home, but it has also been an investment property. If you want to be able to do a 1031 exchange on that vacation home slash investment property, it needs to be rented out for 10 times the amount of time that you have stayed there. So if you've stayed there for 30 days last year, you need to have rented it out for 300 days in order for that to qualify for a 1031 exchange. Now, these guidelines are strict. However, we do have some solutions here at Finance for Thought. We're just not all talk. We can add some flexibility in a 1031 exchange with something called a Delaware Statutory Trust or a DST. A Delaware Statutory Trust is a trust, but it's recognized as like-kind property by the IRS. In order to buy into a DST, you do have to be an accredited investor. To be an accredited investor, the individual level, you need to have at least $200,000 of income for two years or a net worth of a million dollars excluding a personal residence. All right, so as I mentioned, the guidelines for a 1031 exchange are pretty strict. A, a DST can be a contingency plan. When you're identifying properties, most people use what's known as the three property rule. That means you can identify up to three properties. It doesn't matter their value. And to keep this at a high level, that's what I'm going to stick with. If you have identified one property that you're actually going to purchase, well, almost one third of 1031 exchanges fall through. So it may behoove you to identify a DST as a contingency plan. If you're buying into a DST, you as the investor get to dictate the amount that you're going to buy into. Whereas if you're going out and just purchasing a property, well, the market's going to dictate what the purchase price on that property is. So DSTs can be a good contingency plan because you can literally, if that property is identified, you can just say, all right, well, this sale fell through. I'm going to put this into the DST so I can defer that capital gain. All right, another benefit to utilizing a DST or incorporating it in your 1031 exchange process that adds some of that flexibility, well, the real estate market can actually be pretty cutthroat sometimes. Now, let's say you're doing a 1031 exchange, you've just sold your property, and you're going to purchase a new property. You have that relinquished property, the property you sold, and then you have that replacement property, the property that you're purchasing or doing the 1031 exchange into. Well, if the seller of that replacement property 
finds out that you're doing a 1031 exchange, guess what? They got a little bit of leverage on you, right? If you have a large tax bill and you're already speaking with that seller and they find out you're doing a 1031 exchange, well, all of a sudden that property that you're buying for $500,000, that new seller might think, hey, maybe this property is worth $600,000. Well, if you have a DST identified as that contingency plan, that allows you to remove some of their leverage, right? If they want to kick up that price on you, you can just say, you know what? I'm good, Mr. Seller or Mrs. Seller. I got another property identified that I'm going to go with. Now, the other thing a DST can allow you to do, or the, or the other way it can create some flexibility, is we do need to maintain the same amount in debt of, debt of inequity, right? Maybe you're having some trouble getting a loan, or maybe you just don't want to go through that, or maybe we're in the current we're in the current market, we're having a huge jump in interest rates and maybe getting getting more debt isn't necessarily the best financial move. Well, you can utilize a highly leveraged DST in which you're essentially purchasing your debt. So in this example here, we have a sale price of $1 million. This individual had $800,000 of equity and $200,000 of debt. So they took $50,000 of their equity and put it into a highly leveraged DST. That $50,000 of equity bought them that $200,000 of debt. So now that remaining $750,000 of equity that they have, you can now take that remaining $750,000 and you're now a cash buyer. Right? Cash is always king in the real estate market. So if you're going out and placing offers on other investment properties, well, if you have a cash offer, you're likely going to beat out whoever has an offer that has some debt on it. Now the other thing that you can do with the DST is you can take that boot and roll it into a DST. Now, quick fun fact about the term boot, where we got that from. Well, 1031 exchanges started back when farmers were exchanging land. And let's just say that I had some land where I was growing tomatoes and you had some land where you were growing carrots. And in the, in the agricultural industry, generally you would see farmers trading land because the nutrients for tomatoes were used up now they could grow a different agricultural product on there but in this process my land happens to be worth a little bit more than yours so when we exchange our land you're gonna give me a little bit of cash and I take that cash and I stick it in my boot even in today's environment we still use the term if you found a replacement property that was worth less than your relinquished property well you can take that boot that excess profit and put it into a DST and that's all we have for you today over 1031 exchanges and how we create some flexibility in that process. If you're interested in hearing more about it, we're including more links and articles below. We always appreciate a like, follow, and a share. And a share is a great way of supporting a veteran-owned and operated business. Finance for Thought is independent of American portfolios. Any view and or opinions expressed by speakers are not representative of said companies. This presentation and all material within it are for informational purposes only and does not provide tax, legal, accounting, or financial advice. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Securities offered through American Portfolios Financial Services Incorporated. Member, FINRA SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through American Portfolios Advisors Incorporated, an SEC-registered investment advisor.